Well, again, my name is Zach. If you don't know me, I'm a pastor here. We've been going through Ephesians for some weeks now, um, and we are now in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, there, you know, there weren't chapters back when Paul wrote, wrote it. He didn't just, like, decide what verses and chapters were going to be. These were put in later. And so we, we are in the middle of the book right now. We are on the, or we're right past the middle in the, in the latter half, and the first three chapters, the first half, is all about the gospel. Um, it's, it's, it's what we'd call indicatives. They're, they're things that are true of the Christian. These are things that are true of those who believe that they are in Christ. Paul uses the term in Christ over 33 times in this book. In Christ. You are hidden in Christ. We sang that this morning. We were hidden in Christ. Our soul is in Christ. Um, and so uh, he, he talks about that because what he says in the very first chapter is that for those um, who God has saved, they have been adopted as sons and daughters. They have been redeemed by Jesus and sealed by the Spirit. They've been taken, the mystery of God, the gospel has been revealed to them so that they may reveal the mystery of God to the world and to, to, the, to uh, the spiritual realms and to the world. And so this is the message that there is um, this good news that's been revealed that we have been saved, we have been adopted, we have been chosen, we have been, uh, you know, God has loved us before the foundations of the world that we might be his um, and so all these things are just true of those who are in Christ. These things are true. And now Paul's going to pivot here and say, because these things are true of you, these things change you. They change you. Gospel truth forms a gospel people. We're going to say that over and over and over again. Gospel truth forms a gospel people. Um, David Platt tells a story. Uh, he's a pastor tells a story of the idea that some people think you can come to Christ and not be changed. It's, it's like, it's like um, if someone came in here, like if, if Sawyer, um, who's leading you know, worship this morning, he comes in here like 10 minutes after church starts. And he's like, guys, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm so sorry. Um, broke down a 19E. I got out to change my tire, and, and, a, and an 18-wheeler just came and hit me. And I just like went flying into the air and landed in the ditch. And I got up and got in my car, got the tire changed. I got here as fast as I could. But sorry, that 18-wheeler hit me. That's why I'm late. We'd be like, oh my gosh, you are insane or a liar. Like, there's no way an 18-wheeler <laughs> hits you and you're up here playing guitar. Like, that's just not possible. Because if something that large, if you come in contact with something that large, that's going to change you forever. Now, that will likely kill you. If we come in contact with the God of the Bible, if we experience the gospel, that's going to change us. And if we say we've experienced it, and it has not changed us, changed us, just like Sawyer, we're either insane or a liar. And I don't mean that you're purposely lying. I think you might just be deceived if it hasn't changed you. And so Paul's going to talk about, if you've experienced this, this is how you now live. This is, this, in fact, he starts with this. He says, I, in verse 1, I therefore. Um, this is pretty cheesy, but it's, it's, it's too true not to share. If you ever see therefore in scriptures, you should always ask, what is it therefore? Okay, super cheesy, but it's just true. And so therefore, why is therefore there? Um, because Paul is connecting everything he's about to say with everything he's already said. Therefore, because of all these truths, I, Paul, because of everything I've spent the last three chapters saying, therefore, because of that, he says, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is urging them. He's begging them. He is pleading with them to walk in, the, in a way that's worthy of the calling which they've been called. What, what is that calling? It's, it's being called to Christ, being called in Christ, being called sons and daughters. So this, this, this calling 
that they are to walk in is as sons and daughters of the Father, the creator of all things. And so he's urging them to walk in this way. He, he, he wants us, this, this, the wording here is, is like really challenging us to live the life that we've been given. To, it's, it's, it's like someone coming alongside a friend saying like, hey, let, let's, let's uh, or a brother or sister saying, let, let us go on a journey of a lifetime. Let us go on the path of abundant joy. Let us live the full abundant lives we were made for. Or as Paul writes, let us walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Let us go on a journey of a lifetime. Like, let us go, let us walk with Christ. Every time you see walk in the New Testament, it is, it is about how you're living. It's this idea of how you're living. How are you walking? Uh, what does your walk look like? These things, these ideas of walk is how are you living? How have you been changed? How are you living for Christ? And so all these truths should make a gospel people. And not just individual, individual people, but a group, a people, a family. So this is what he says. He's going to tell us what that walk looks like, which is really helpful because if he just says, walk in a you know, manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, we could all decide that looks different for each of us. But Paul tells us exactly what that looks like. Verse 2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So he gives us some words here. Um, real quick, it's easy to note, what does it look like for us to walk um, in, a, in, a, in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called, it, everything Paul just said is like Christ. Just to sum it up, to walk like Jesus, to walk like Christ, to be like Christ. That is why God has saved us and left us here, so we'd be conformed in the image of his son, so that his son might be the first fruit of many brethren, right? That's Romans eight twenty nine, And so this idea that, man, we, we, we walk like Christ, but he gives us these words, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, keeping, maintaining unity. So let's, I want to walk through these words. We're not going to spend tons of time on each word, but I, I, I feel like we should know what these words mean if Paul's urging and begging us to walk in these words. So humility. Humility is kind of the opposite of what our culture tells us to do, right? Like, like our culture would tell us to think about yourself. To, to build up yourself, to, to pour into yourself, to do all these things, um, to, to self-care, to think about yourself first, all these things. And, and, and look, you should care for yourself. You should um, mature yourself and do things for yourself. But, but that's not the primary reason why you do it is for yourself. Humility um, is about thinking of others more than you're thinking of yourself. I, th- I think sometimes humility, we can think of humility uh, erroneously as thinking about um, our, thinking about Think, I'm sorry, thinking less of ourselves, like, like, th- like kind of just putting yourself down all the time um, and, 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 and saying, like, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not this, and that's not what humility means. Humility means to think of yourself less, not to think less of yourself. So to think of yourself less, think of others more. Paul would say the same things to the, to, to the uh, church in, in Philippi in, in the book of Philippians. He would say um, to, to um, not think of yourselves highly than you ought, but to think of others and so we, we want to care for others. Oftentimes we only think of ourselves. Pride literally means being filled with oneself. But we want to care for others. Keller, Tim Keller says it best. He says this, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. That's the essence of gospel humility, thinking of myself less. 
So, I mean, honestly, in times like this, this is one of the reasons why we could cancel Sunday gatherings. Because we, I mean, like, I would miss the heck out of this place. I'd miss you guys. I'd still be preaching, which is fun. Preaching in an empty room is weird. I had to do it once because our audio didn't work, and I wanted to get the audio. It was a really important Sunday. We are talking about the role of women in the church and at home, and that's, like, really controversial. And the audio didn't work. Maybe, it was God. Maybe I said something stupid, and God's like, oh, I don't want him putting this on the internet. <laughs> so he just, like, turned it off, and I was like, oh, good. Thank you, Lord, you know. So I preached it again just so, we could ha- so that people who missed that Sunday, who were curious, what does this church believe about women? We love women. We think highly of women, by the way. Uh, you can go back and listen to it. It is online, but uh, I preached it to an empty room um, so that we could have the audio. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's weird, but, but we would, the reason we might cancel something like this is because we're thinking of others. This is humility. This is thinking of ourselves less. This is um, us going out and delivering food to students who aren't getting meals the next couple weeks because we're, we're, we're thinking of others, not ourselves. We're not trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to protect others even to the point of death or illness. This is, the, this is the Christian life where you think of others so much that you would die to help others because that's the model that Jesus gives us. Jesus was the king of the universe, and he lowered himself down. We'll see this in a second. He came down to earth because he thought of us. He thought of his father and his father's glory more than his own. And so he came to die on a cross that his father might be glorified by gathering a people, us. For the joy set before him, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy was his own joy, yes, but it was, it was having us. That was his joy, was having us. So because of us, the joy set before him, he endured the cross to glorify his father and for our good. Next, Paul talks about gentleness. It could literally be translated as meekness. Uh, meek, but meek isn't really a word we use anymore. Uh, but gentleness or meekness is not timidity. It's not um, shrinking and, and, being, um, and, and being small, but it's being self-controlled. Meekness literally means laying down your personal rights for others. That you could flex and say, like, no, I have the right to do this. I'm gonna, even though it's offensive, even though it hurts people, it's my right, I'm going to do it. Meekness would say laying down your rights for the good of others. And man, I can't think, this isn't, this isn't got to get political, so everyone calm down. But we have a lot of rights in this country. And we have a lot of people who want to defend them tooth and nail. And I think those rights should probably stay there. I, I mean, just throw my cards out there. But it doesn't mean we have to always exercise them. It just doesn't. Like, we have the right to do stuff. doesn't mean we need to do stuff, right? So you have the right to say whatever you want, freedom of speech, doesn't mean you should say whatever you want, okay? Like, sometimes what you want to say should change, okay? And that's like the Christian life. My wife, me and my wife, she giggled because uh, she, was, she loves being honest. And we should all be honest, right? But sometimes the way you're honestly feeling should honestly change, okay? <laughs> so, like, if you're just always being honest with your husband about how you feel about him and it's not good, I'm so glad you're being honest. But sometimes that should change, right? So, so, um, and so laying down your rights to say whatever you want, that is meekness. That is gentleness. Like, so someone offends me, someone harms me and hurts me, man, I have the right to be angry. I have the right to be upset. I have the right to talk to them in a much more stern tone because it's deserving of that. But meekness is laying down my rights, being gentle in the way in which I communicate, in the way in which I respond to wrongs against me. 
Did Je- didn't Jesus have the right to not die on the cross? But he did. He had the right to call down angels to get him off that thing, but he didn't. For the sake of others, meekness is, laying, is, is the idea of not asserting one's personal rights, but laying them down for others. And then patience. We want to be patient. Jesus has been patient with us. And if you don't think Jesus has been patient with us, you think too highly of yourself. Man, has Jesus been patient with us. And, 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 and so Jesus is patient. His long-suffering with us, we should model that to others. So husbands and wives should be patient to one another. There is probably things you want your spouse to change about who they are. And they might even be good things. Like your wife might take the last of the cereal every morning that there's only a little bit left. And that's just selfish. It's not humility. And you want that to change. And it's a good, but be patient. The Holy Spirit wants your spouse to change more than you do. And the Holy Spirit knows how to change your spouse better than you do. So be patient. Like, like you don't always have to fix everything the moment things happen. Do you guys know that? Like, did, has God fixed everything in your life the moment you came to him? Did he solve every issue in your heart, tear down every idol the moment you came to him? No. Be patient with one another. You don't need to tear down all the idols on day one of marriage from your spouse's heart. You love them. You're patient with them. Parents and kids, same thing. Like, like parenting is a million moments, a million conversations with your kids. Not one big, great parenting aha and changes your kids forever, and you're like, yes, I did it. I had this one conversation. My kids love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They never mess up anymore. They're always obedient. Like, that's just not going to happen. And if you figure out how to make that happen, please tell us. That'd be awesome. But I just don't see that. We've got to be patient with our kids. You've got 18 years. It's a long time. Be patient. A million conversations, a million apologies for mom and dad about how you reacted wrongly to your kids. Be patient. Be patient at work. Be patient with your friends. Trust Christ. Um, one of the ways I love, uh, recently I read this article in the Gospel Coalition about um, it's about not casting your pearls among the swine, which is something Jesus says. But, but the idea that they were kind of pulling out of that was, what if you let someone have the last word? Like, what if you're patient enough just to say, you know what, this isn't going anywhere. Like, we're arguing about the gospel or about Jesus or about some, something about, you know, our response to the coronavirus. We're arguing about something, and it's just real. You, you're keep, someone keeps talking over you. Someone keeps interrupting you while you're talking. And instead of becoming impatient with them, what if you just let them have the last word? Could the Holy Spirit still work in that person's life even if you walk away and they said the last thing? Yeah. Being patient might mean letting someone else think they won the conversation even if they didn't. That's not wrong. That's, not, that, that's meekness. That is gentleness. That is patience. That is hard for me, for being honest. I love having the last word. I do not like being wrong, but more than I, I mean, this is just this is honest, honest pastor time, okay? Um, you guys can stay if you want to, but um, more than I like being right, I like other people thinking I'm right. Like, I could even be wrong, and maybe even know that I'm wrong in my wickedness, but as long as other people think I'm right, I feel better, even if I know I'm wrong. I mean, like, how wicked is that? So what would it look like if you were just okay? This has nothing to do with patience. I don't know where this comes from. Uh, if you were just so, I guess, well, let's try to connect it. If you were so patient, you let other people have the last word, they might even think that you, you've realized you're wrong and you've, 
They might even think that, like, oh, I won. And they walk away thinking, like, man, I had the last word in that conversation. That was awesome. But you're not convinced of their point of view. You're not, you haven't changed anything. You just realized that this was going nowhere. And in love, you were just like, okay, I see, I see your point. I see what you're saying. That's it. And just end it. Man, that would be amazing. All right. So to bear one another in love is the last thing he says here. Literally means to put up with one another. Just to put up with one another. Home groups, amen? You're just putting up with one another. <laughs> now, I, I love my group. I, I got in trouble last time we, we launched groups because I was talking about there's people in your home group you don't like, and everyone in my home group is like, which one of them is he talking about? I wasn't talking about anyone in particular. <laughs> I just meant there's going to be times where people frustrate you, where people annoy you, right? And that means there's going to be times when you annoy other people. When you frustrate other people, and we are to bear with one another, bear, bear with one another, we are to put up with one another in love, that you would be patient, gentle, humble, that you would be so loving of your brother and sister in Christ that you would put up with them. I love Paul's honesty here. He just knows, like, sometimes, some of you guys just got to put up with one another. So, some of you guys have differing point of views on secondary issues, things that don't matter, um, and so you put up with one another, and just like, okay, cool, you're really in to not eat meat, you know? I even, I even bought vegan shoes this week. You know, you can, you can buy vegan shoes. I just try to love my sister, you know, like, just bought vegan shoes. It means no animals were hurt in the making of my shoes. Uh, I had to Google what that meant, and that's what it means. That also makes them cheaper, because you don't have to kill a cow to make leather shoes. You can just, I should stick to my notes. Um, we're putting up with one another. Peter, Peter would say in his letters that, that uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. This is not to say that you never confront one another. When someone's sinning, you should confront them. But sometimes someone's just, be, like, annoying. You, you realize that being annoying is not a sin, right? Do you guys know that? Like, you don't have to confront every annoying person in your life. Be like, you're so annoying. Honestly, if everyone in your life is annoying you, it's probably you. Like, you're probably the problem. Like, something's wrong with you. And so, like, we put up with one another. We, 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 you don't have to confront, but there are things in people's lives where they wound you. Matthew 18 would tell us that if, when your brother sins against you, you go to them and you confront them. You call them to repentance. Yes and amen. But sometimes it's not a sin to confront. It's just, and, and, and let me say this. When, when we do confront someone over sin, when, when, and, and that is putting up with one another because if someone's sinning against you, and instead of just retreating and running, you're bearing with one another, so you're confronting, you're, you're engaging, you're saying, hey, brother, like, I see this thing in your life, and, and I want to, to, to preach the gospel into it that it might change you and, and, and change your life and change your heart. Um, when you do that, when you confront someone who's in sin, you need to confront them because you care for them, not because you're wounded by what they did. If you're still hurt and wounded by what they did, and that's going to come out in you engaging with them, that's not going to be healthy. If you're confronting people because they hurt you, you should be confronting people because they're hurting themselves. Someone wounds you, they sin, they sin against you, yes, that sucks for you. But the reason why you engage with them is because they're damaging their own life. They're hurting their friends, and soon if they continue, they're going to be friendless. And so you care for them, and you want to, to build them up, not, make, not, not protect yourself from all the sins of others, but you go to them, you engage them because you care about them, not what they're doing to you. Does that make sense? So someone's gossiping about you, man, that's hard. But you confront them because their own gossip about you will destroy them, not you. And so you confront them over their gossip for their sake, for the sake of their soul. 
why do we do this? Or the last thing, why do we, why do, we do this? Because we're eager to maintain, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Man, um, I love this because it's, it's worded so perfectly, this idea. Eager to maintain unity. Not build unity. Christ has done that. Our job is to maintain it. To maintain what's been given to us. Unity. We are unified around the gospel. We're unified because of all these things we're about to see. We're unified because there is one body, which is us, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We had, we're united around God the Father. We're united, we're united around the gospel. Here's what I love about our church. Um, we have, so, we, so a few weeks ago we talked about diversity, and we really talked about um, ethnicity and racial diversity, and that's something we should talk about. It's really what the text was talking about. But we really are, when it comes to our community, we are representative of our community here at the Grove, and we are pretty diverse. Socioeconomically, we're really diverse. We have people who have almost no money and people who have a lot. We have people who dress opposite of the spectrums. People who have no tattoos, people who have a ton of tattoos. Like we are just, we are diverse. And we can meet together, not just on Sunday mornings where you kind of bump into each other, but in people's homes we come together for home groups during the week. And we pray with one another. We read scriptures with one another. We eat with one another because we're united around the gospel. There is a real reason we don't do what churches call affinity groups, where you gather around common affinities. And what that means is common life stages. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not us. There's nothing wrong with gathering around common life stages. But we, as our church, specifically in our context, we want to display the gospel in a way that says no matter who you are or what, or what you've done or what background you have or how much money you have or what, what your skin color is, anything, you can gather together united around the gospel. Not, not gather around your age, not gather around whether you have... Um, um, uh, whether you're a young adult or you have kids or not, or not gathered around life stage, but gathered around Christ. And that we can have all things in common, even though we may have nothing in common but Christ. And, and so that's why we, want, we, we, we maintain this unity. We, unity is not something you're going to stumble into. Um, or, I'm sorry, it's not something, it's not something you're, you're it's, it is something you're going to stumble out of. You're going you're gonna to drift out of unity unless you fight for it, unless you're eager to maintain for it. Christ has given us unity, and unless we fight for it, unless we're eager to maintain it, we're going to drift away. Because the pull is always to think about ourselves. The pull is always to look in the mirror and think about us. And so we have to fight to stay united. We have to fight to stay in unity. That means doing all these things. It means being gentle, being patient, being humble, putting up with one another. And that will help us stay united around the cause of Christ, advancing the kingdom of Christ together. Man, I am thankful for our church. We are a pretty united church right now. Now, that's not to say that could, that could change. We're about ready to move into a new building. And one thing about a new building is everyone has ideas of how it should look and how it should go. Everyone's ideas can't be fulfilled. So some of y'all are like, like, that'd be really cool if we did this, and we're just not going to be able to do it. And I mean, not even because it's, not, it's, it's a bad idea. Just because we just can't do it. We don't have the money, or it doesn't work on our space, or maybe it's just illegal to, to have, like, it's just against code. Okay? And so we just, some things we just can't do. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be easy to get your feelings hurt. Maybe, maybe there's a certain way you like home group to go, but we do home group groups a certain way. And it's easy to be like, well, I'm just frustrated with that. 
I mean, like, we, we love feedback, but we might not be able to implement everyone's feedback. And so we need to fight to stay united because it's going to be really easy to think, oh, not, no one's listening to me, or I'm just being thrown aside. Like, no, like, fight to stay united. We fight to stay united. So one of the things I learned this week uh, that I thought was really helpful is to think about the opposite of what you read in Scripture. So we read in Scripture what our calling is, what, what it looks like to walk. So what, it, what, what, what is not our, what, what isn't our calling? You have not been called to think of yourself. You have not been called to be rough and brash with one another. You have not been called to be impatient. You are not called to get annoyed and to retreat from community. You are not called to, to passively sit by and hope everyone stays united. We are called to be like Christ. This passage is simply describing our king. We're called to be like him. We're called to walk like him. And when we do that, we display the mystery of God, the gospel to the world with the help of the spirit. We do that because there's one body. We are one church. And we are part of one larger church. Um, there's a reason why we do communion the way we do it. There's a reason why we have one loaf of bread. Now, we don't have one loaf of bread today because of illness and stuff. We have little individual pieces of bread. But typically, and we'll go back to this eventually, God willing, um, we have one loaf of bread to represent one body. And that body of Christ, we are one, we are in Christ. So we have one loaf, and we break pieces off of that one loaf to remember that Christ's body was broken for us and that we are united as one body in him because of what he's done for us. So there's a reason why it's one loaf. Like that was, that was theologically in my mind. I want to do it this way because in, in Corinthians, Paul literally says one loaf, one body. And so we do it a certain way on purpose. We want to, we're, we are one body. We are, and, and, and there's one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord. We all share one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This is this large picture of our God the Father. There's one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And then verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so, um, this grace that he's talking about here is not saving grace but the grace of giftings, the grace of gifts, okay? So, so all of us have received the same saving grace, but then when it comes to giftings and how we exercise the gifts that the Spirit has given us, that is given to each differently. And so it's, it's interesting that Paul would say there's one, 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 we're one body, but then he says, he goes from uh, talking about all of us to each one of us. So he literally transitions from this united language of we're all united to now he's talking about diversity that in that unity each of us have been given grace differently according to the measure of christ's gift so we're each although we are all together we are not the same although we are all united together there is diversity amongst us every single one of us each one of us has been given a gift each one of us has been given a gift Verse 8 says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is, Paul is, is not really quoting Psalm 68, but he's um, summarizing Psalm 68. So he's quoting it in such a way that gives you like a whole summary of the entire psalm. And it's a psalm of victory. It's a, it's a victorious king 
who has won the battle. And he leads the captives out and he gives each of them gifts. It's this idea of like the spoils of war. Like when, when a commander wins, you get all of, all of the stuff that, was th- that, the other, that the loser had. And he distributes that to his people. So when Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, he was victorious over sin, death, evil, and Satan. And now he gives the spoils of wars to his congregation. Gifts for everyone to use and to minister to his church and advance his kingdom. So the victory has been won and now we are advancing the kingdom with the gifts he's given us. Verse 9 and 10 says this, And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. This idea that he, because he ascended, so, so um, after Christ was, was risen from the dead, um, he, he has a period of time where he teaches his disciples, and uh, in Luke, he has this amazing Bible study with some people and shares uh, how all of Scripture, te- all the Old Testament is about him. But then at the end, he ascends into heaven. He, he, he goes back into heaven. So, so what Paul's saying here is if he ascended back to where he came from, doesn't that mean he also descended? Like, like Christ came to earth from heaven. The king stooped low that he might come to us. He left his throne, his, his, his um, visible glory that he might come to this earth to save us. Christ was our missionary. He left his home. He left his family, and he came to this earth on a mission to save us. He's our, he, he died in our place. He was our substitute on the cross. That all the, the wrath and all the, um, that we deserve because of our sin, Christ has absorbed that on the cross as our missionary, as our substitute. But also as our missionary, he didn't just descend into earth. He didn't just stoop low to us and then, and then ascend He also has given us grace. He's given us a gift. He has given us a mission. He's given us a mission. So just like he was a missionary, leaving his home, his comfort, his visible glory, he came to earth, and now he's given us the giftings to do our mission. And then we'll go through this, what our mission and gifts may be and what that leads to. Because we're saved and we're united, but we're also saved, united for ministry. Verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he gave um, these people, we're not going to go into each word here, but he gave, um, he gave teachers, shepherds, pastors, uh, evangelists, prophets, apostles. He gave all these people. Why did he give us these people? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's what's happened in Western evangelicalism, okay, which is what we find ourselves in is somehow uh, we've transitioned to the work of ministry is done by the professionals, the paid people. That the work of ministry is done by the person up on stage. Everyone else comes, and they sit, and they hear, and they, um, they sit, and they... Oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. I should turn that off. Um, they sit, and they hear, and they, they um, take in, but they're not participants in. They're consuming the ministry. They're not participants in the ministry. But Paul makes it clear that, that apostles, which is, which is him and his guys, his, his, his um, Pim and Peter and his guys, pr- the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or the shepherds and the teachers, they were all given not just to do the work of ministry, their ministry is to equip the saints for ministry. 
So that's our goal here is to equip you sitting in these chairs now to, to, to be on mission, to be ready and able and work in the ministry that God's given you. Paul Tripp says it this way. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are a part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. There is nothing greater in this life than for you to be wrung out for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, and for the good of all people. Like, this is why you were born. This is why you're created, to do this, to image him, so that you would, uh, Genesis 1 says, in the image of God, he created them. You were created to be his image bearer. That doesn't just mean um, like him, and you're, you know, you're created like him, like he's creative, you're creative, he's loving, you're loving, it, but it's this idea that wherever you are, you represent the rule and reign of your king. You're his, his image, you're his statue. When, when someone takes, like in the, in, the, in the old empire days, when someone would take over um, a country or another empire, they would erect statues in the image of the emperor to show all the people this, is now, this now belongs to our ruler. You are the image of God so that wherever you go, people would see you, see that you are in the likeness of Christ and say, this belongs to Jesus. This place belongs to Jesus. I see his image. I see his statue here. This place belongs to Jesus. You have been called to do the work of ministry, to advance the kingdom of God into all places, to go into the unredeemed spaces and to announce that our Redeemer King is here to redeem your life, your heart in this place. Now, this is why we exist. And this will be hard. This will be incredibly difficult. This is how I heard it said this week. Um, here's the reality. We, we often take up this idea of like, oh, we've got to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And we have this idea of taking up our cross is taking up whatever circumstances, you know, fall onto us when, when, when we're going through life. So we've got, oh, this is my cross to bear, I guess. You know, this happened in my life. It's my, no, no, no. Jesus wasn't just walking around, all of a sudden a cross fell on his back. He's like, oh, what the crap is this? Like, I guess I'm going to save humanity now. There's a cross on my back. No. Like, he intentionally went to the cross. He was intentional about, this is going to be my life. I am going to die for my people. And so you bearing your cross to follow Jesus is not just taking whatever circumstances fall on you, but it's intentionally dying and following Christ. It is like, like when you push back darkness in this world, Darkness bites back. Like, this is a dangerous thing we've been called to, but a glorious thing. Darkness will bite back. You will get wounded. I mean, this thing will likely lead to your death if you follow Jesus. And I mean, like, you will feel like you're dying at times. You'll be so hurt by those you're trying to help. You will be so wounded by those you're trying to preach the gospel to that it'll feel like, why am I even doing this? Man, there's joy found in those moments. This is what we've been called to, that to ring out, to, to have our lives rung out for the glory of God and the good of all people. This mission you've been called to is glorious, but it's dangerous. It will most likely kill you, but can you think of a better death? Can you think of a better death in your life than dying for Christ? And I don't mean like real physical death where we live in the United States, but I mean like you, your, your life dying for the sake of Christ. You laying down your rights 
you laying down your desires for the desires of Christ. But I just can't think of like a better thing. Like, what do you want said at your funeral? And this person did everything he ever wanted to do. So what, do, what a great life. Or this person did everything his king wanted him to do. He laid his life down. He laid his desires down. She laid his desires down to, to live for his king, to live for her king. This is what we want. When we do, uh, when we do baptisms, baptisms, and this is what I tell people who get baptized now, baptisms are, are both a celebration and a funeral. Like you are announcing that I am leaving my life. My life is dead. I'm leaving my life behind, and I'm following Christ. There's this, there's this real sense that there's a funeral as you go down into the water. And there's this real sense that as you come back up, you now are saying, I am following Christ. The same spirit that lives within Christ that rose him from the dead is now in me, and I am empowered to keep the unity, to advance the kingdom. And all of this, pushing back darkness, the work of the ministry, leads to maturity. And we'll close here. Leads to maturity. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so, so we may no longer be children and tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth, the gospel, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which with, with, with which he, it is equipped, with e when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When you work in the ministry, when you do the work of ministry, you begin to mature. Now hear me. You don't wait for maturity to do the work of, of ministry. What is the order Paul says here? You're equipped to do the work of ministry, and if you do the work of ministry, you will grow up into all that Christ has for you. You will no longer be children. You don't wait to be an adult to do the work of ministry. You, you, you're a child. When we all come to Christ, we are infants, and we do the work of ministry, and as we do the work of ministry, we grow. We grow into full manhood or womanhood. We grow into maturity. We grow into him who is the head, which is Christ. This is how we mature. Don't wait to mature to do the work of ministry, because if you wait to mature in order to do the work, you will wait forever. It is the work that matures you. It is working for Christ that matures you. So, so this, is, this is my prayer, is that Christ's death on the cross, him, him stooping low, coming to us, leaving, his, um, leaving heaven to come to earth to save us, would so move in your hearts the fact that he took your place. You didn't deserve him taking your place, but he did it because of the love for which he had for you. But that would so move in your hearts that you would want to be with one another in, uni in unity, that you'd want to do the work of ministry, that you would desire to advance his kingdom, that, that how God has advanced his kingdom into your heart, you want to now take that else in the world. And you would do whatever it takes to do that. You would, you would lay your life down to do that. And that by doing that, you would mature. You would become like Christ. You would grow in godliness. So that you wouldn't just hear, you know, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of sermons out there on the internet. There's lots of teaching on the internet. It's not all good. 
Just because it's in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's good. But if you would mature so that when you see these things, you'd know, okay, that's not, that's not biblical. That's not good. That's not sound doctrine. And you would know that. But you would mature through the work of the ministry. That you would know Christ. That it would cause these things. That you would speak the truth, speak the gospel in love to one another. And as you do that, it would grow one another. It would grow the body. And the body would build itself up in love. As we grow, as we use our gifts, the body of Christ grows healthy. And that's my prayer for us, is that we wouldn't be, we'd fight against the consumerism in church, we'd be participants in the ministry, that we would mature, but the church would all, because we're, because we're doing the work of ministry, and we're advancing the kingdom of God, this place will always stay messy. We're going to read about that next week. This place will always stay messy. I don't mean like there's trash on the ground, but I mean... As you guys do the work of ministry and mature, we're bringing in new people who are now infants. And, and so now it's just, it's just staying messy because these people have, have, have issues. And, and, and they're, I mean, like, it's just amazing, though. It's just amazing. But like, the, the stuff we're hearing through home groups um, and through, so we got people who um, are throwing away uh, their weird New Age books because of we're going through Ephesians and they're learning the Bible and they're, and they're, and they're, lear- they're going through Genesis and they're learning the Bible. Um, and so it's amazing stuff, the things that happen. But as that happens and as these people mature, we're, we're advancing the kingdom of God and more people are coming in and they have their own messes and their own issues. And so as they work in the ministry, they mature. This thing keeps happening. This place is never just going to be like a group of mature Christians. It can't be. If it's what, it's, if this, what this turns out into, it's just we're all mature um, and we're all good and we all have our life together and there's no one coming in, no one being brought into the family who has messes, then I'm out. I'm starting over again with a new church. Like, that just can't be us. We cannot grow so much um, into holiness where we're all holy and we think we're good. Honestly, I don't think it's possible. But if we get to that sense where we think that's where we are, then that's not good for us. We need to constantly be growing deep and wide. And as we grow wide, we will grow deep. And if we grow wide and we're not growing deep, then we're doing it wrong. If we grow deep and we're not growing wide, then we're doing it wrong. If, if we think we're maturing but people aren't coming to Christ, then what are we maturing not to advance his kingdom, Jesus said he will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said all authority was given to him. And when he said that in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Like if Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, whatever he commands next is going to happen, right? Like all authority has been given to him. So whatever he says next, guaranteed. Disciples make disciples. Disciples don't just try to make disciples. Disciples make disciples. You will advance the kingdom. It may take you years to do it with one person, but you're doing it. And if you're sitting around not doing it, you're doing it wrong. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. And so here's the call today, and this isn't to be too harsh. We're going to close and respond after this. But if you're here today and you consider yourself a disciple, here's what I'd ask. If you're a disciple, if you're following, okay, let me, let me back up. What is a disciple? Um, a disciple is a Christian. There is no differentiator in, in Scripture between Christian and disciple. There's nothing, there's no difference. A Christian is a disciple. A Christian who's not a disciple probably isn't a Christian. A, Christ, a disciple who isn't a Christian, they're not a Christian disciple for sure. I don't know what they are. They're learning something else. Um, and so every Christian, everyone who's been saved has been saved to something, not just from something. You've been saved from your sins, from yourself, from the punishment of your sins, and you've been saved to mission. You've been saved to a ministry of reconciliation. You've been saved simply to disciple others. 
it, so if you're here today and you're like, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Christ, my question is, who are you discipling? And if you don't have an answer for that, that's okay. I'm not saying that means you're not a Christian. But right now, I want you to start praying for God to bring someone in your life whom you can disciple. And you can do this at any stage. You will mature as you do this. You might be young in Christ, and so your discipling is going to be a lot of, I don't know, I'll find out. That's fine. I don't know, I'll figure it out. Let's find out together. That's totally fine. Or maybe you just read, you read the Bible together. And so this thing will tell you. You don't even need to figure it out. We'll just keep reading. Let's just keep reading. Well, maybe we'll figure it out. Let's just keep reading. God will tra- tell us at some point. Like He's going to answer it at some point. So, so I don't know what it looks like for you. There's tons of models we could talk about. But if you're a disciple here today, what, what, what work are you doing? Who are you discipling? How are you advancing the kingdom? It's not easy. It may be hard when you get started. But you begin maturing as you do it. So my prayer is that God would bring someone in your life to disciple. That you would disciple others. And you would disciple them to make disciples. And so imagine if there was a movement of God where disciples make disciple-making disciples. And so this thing grows, not just the growth, but like the church, all of Mitchell, Yancey, Avery County, the, the, the church is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Like, how might that change marriages in our community? How might that change our school system? How could that change um, kids and families and the family unit? How could that change the economic uh, state of our town when people begin, become becoming generous as they grow in Christ? Like, just like imagine the possibilities of what our town could look like. If we just make disciples who make disciples. This is the call in our life. It's dangerous, but it's glorious. As you push back darkness, it will bite back. It will likely kill you, but there's no better death. There's no better death. We're all going to die, or Jesus is going to come back. You know, people talk about mortality rates of the coronavirus. Um, Death has a 100% mortality rate. Everyone dies. What do you want said of you at the end? I I want to die and to your well done, my good and faithful servant. And you know what's awesome? In Christ, I know I'll hear that. Because he heard it. And so I'll hear it in Christ. But you know what's awesome? Is that even though I'll hear it because I'm in Christ, Christ now through his spirit empowers me to actually do it. Like not only do I receive the righteousness of Christ, the spirit now begins to work actual righteousness in my life. So I get free righteousness and then I grow into righteousness. You have imputed righteousness given to you freely from God. But then you begin to become more and more righteous in a good way. Not self-righteous, but actual righteousness because God is growing you and maturing you. So we're going to respond. And um, we're going we're to respond uh, through communion, which is done differently. We have disposable cups for y'all. So no one's putting their lips on the same stainless steel cups we normally use. Um, and being, although we always wash those and we sanitize them. We just want everyone to feel safe. Okay, uh, so we've got, you can just throw those away. There's a trash can at the end of the bar. You can throw those away. Um, we have, I think we have tongs and little bread pieces. So you don't even touch the bread. You just grab a little bread piece on a tong and boom, look at that. Um, we're, trying, we're trying our best, guys. And uh, uh, we have gluten-free. Uh, it's all gluten-free, so if you're one of those, you know, gluten, no gluten people, come to the table. Okay, I know, we're good. And uh, <laughs> I know of one, so I'm talking to her. Uh, but it could be more of you. Uh, so we have gluten-free stuff. Um, so we respond to communion because we want to remember what Christ has done for us. That we're one. Even though this is individual stuff, we're all still one. 
We want to maintain that. And we'll respond through song. Um, we're going to sing about what Christ has done for us and respond through that way. We're going to respond through giving. So if you're a member of the Grove, this would be your chance to give um, what God has given you to give generously back to him. There's a thing on the bar. Um, you can also give online uh, at thegrovesp.com. Uh, but again, if you're a, a guest here, this isn't me saying, hey, you should give to the church. We don't need you to give. Uh, we don't ask that you'd give. We, we pray that this service would be a gift to you as you hear the gospel, as you um, fellowship with one another um, and do things. So, so we pray this, this, this would be a gift to you. Um, and then if you want to go grab your kid and check him out of kids ministry, you can, we, your kids can sing with you and see you sing and respond to the gospel. It's a glorious thing we do on Sundays is have our children watch us respond. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get after it. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in our life. I pray that you continue to move in us and through us um, and that as we um, respond this morning, that you, you, your presence would be experienced amongst us, that we would experience your love. God, in that experiencing your love would drive us to lay our lives down for others, that we would be gentle, patient. God, that we would put up with one another, that we'd be eager to maintain unity. God, I pray that we would um, love our community well, that we would advance your kingdom outside of the walls of the church, outside of the walls of our own heart. We would expand it into those around us, um, that we would do that both by declaring the gospel with our lips and also displaying the gospel with our lives. God, I pray that as we continue to go through a time of turmoil in our country and, and really globally, that the church would represent you well. That your love, your grace, your generosity would be felt amongst the pe people globally. And that the church, while, while there's panic ensuing and people buying all sorts of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, that your church would be seen as trusting you, being wise, but trusting you. Because you're good. And you've called us to more than just this. You've called us to lay our rights down for others. That we would die so others may live. That you died. That we might live. Jesus, thank you. Father, I love you. I pray that your, again, your presence would be here. That, we would, uh, that our, our worship would be holy and glorifying and acceptance. And you would accept it. Um, it would be worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And just be with us today. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.